0: Hi, this is Dan Mattson. Please note that this podcast was created several years ago. Some of the links, email addresses, phone numbers, and promos are outdated and no longer valid. If you want to contact me, my email address is woodenboatdan at gmail.com. Once again, that's woodenboatdan at gmail.com. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Hooked on Wooden Boats, weekly podcast episode number nine. I am your host, Dan Matson, and this is the world's first podcast, the very first first in the world, fully dedicated to the art, craft, history, and tradition of wooden boats. Thanks for joining me this week, folks. It's great to have you again. We're on episode nine, which is awesome. I've been doing this for over a couple months now. My audience and subscriber list continues to grow slowly, which is pretty exciting. That means people are listening and looking at my blog, and they're getting into this, which is pretty cool. Uh, Just a reminder that this podcast is weekly, and I release it on Thursdays. However, this coming week, uh, Thanksgiving is on a Thursday, so I might be a day late releasing it. Uh, So this coming week, or next week, it'll be either Thursday or Friday. In this episode of Hooked on Wooden Boats, uh, I have an interview with Rich Cullen. Rich is a builder, designer, author, and teacher. He's lived in the Northwest for quite a few years and lived in California for a while, and it's a very fascinating interview, so I hope you enjoy that. Uh, I'd like for you to connect with me, and I say this in every episode, but I'm going to continue to say it. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Zune, or BlackBerry directories. My website is hookedonwoodenboats.com. On my website, you can subscribe to my e-news list, which is in the upper right-hand corner of the website. Uh, you can leave comments and look at show notes on the website also. And if you want to email me, my email is dan at com. On Twitter, I'm at twitter.com slash woodenboatdan if you want to follow me there. I'm not a Twitter expert by any means. I'm still figuring it out myself, all the hashtags and stuff, but I'm getting into it. It's kind of fun. And let's see, I'm on Facebook too at facebook.com slash woodenboatdan if you'd like to go to my page and like the page. And I have a voicemail feedback hotline also at 424 Well, I need some help, folks. Uh, Last week, Brian Hansen called in and asked where he could locate the video called The Big Build, which is a 45-minute story and video of Jay Smith, the Nordic boat builder, building a 21-foot long boat in his shop in Anacortes. Uh, this video was published, I believe, five or six years ago, and I have not been able to find it on the internet or on the History Channel, so if you can help me with that, I would love it. Please, uh, if you have any information on that, email me or call my feedback hotline, and um, I'd like to find that, that video and uh, satisfy my friend Brian. That would be great, and I would like to see it too, so... Let's see what else here is new. I have a resources page on my website now. If you go to the menu at the top and click on resources, I've got some things uh, of interest there. I've got some magazines, actually just one magazine, Wooden Boat Magazine, you can subscribe to that. And I've got some books on there that I like, wooden boat books, and some tools, a couple tools, and some epoxy. And so what I did is I signed up for the Amazon Affiliates Program, So if you purchase, if you go to my site and you click on one of these items and you make a purchase, I get paid 4%. Now, I'm an accountant and 4% of a $13 book is, that is about uh, (laughs) $0.52. 26 that's 2%. So if you buy a $13 book, I make $0.52. So it's not a whole lot of money, but hey, if somebody wants to buy some books and they're on my site... And I make a buck or two here and there. That's that's good with me. So check out our resource page if you would. My resource page. I'm still trying to talk in the first person. Uh, today was a good day. I, I made some connections with some folks that I'm going to be interviewing in the future. Uh, Jake Beattie, who is the executive director of the Northwest Maritime Center in Port Townsend. I'm going to be meeting with him next week for an interview. And I'm also going to... Uh, meet with Marty Loken from the Island Boat Shop. And uh, I emailed Marty today and, and asked him if he would be willing to let me come out to his shop and interview him. And he said, yeah, come on out. And in his, here's what he said in his email. Nice to hear from you. We appreciate your efforts to celebrate traditional boats, boat designs, boat builders, and others involved in classic water craft. And it's like, that was really cool to hear that. It's like, it makes it worth it to do this when I get that kind of feedback. Uh, people tell me, hey, thanks for your efforts to celebrate this wooden boat tradition. This is really cool. So that was really encouraging. So I'm going to be meeting with uh, Marty at his shop in Nordland, Washington next week also. And then today I stopped by Emerald Marine in Anacortes where James and Mullen. Uh, he's actually the owner there, and showed me some of the boats he's working on. And we're going to try to hook up in December for an interview. James is a guy that's built personally probably twenty or thirty boats for himself. Has built lots of boats for other folks, and does some really cool stuff in Anacortes, Washington. So let's see what else here. Uh, my friend Cliff Ravenscraft, the podcast answer man, he was at BlogWord World LA. Last week, and he gave a talk there about podcasting, and he mentioned me in his in his talk. He talked about how I have passion for wooden boats, and kind of gave a little story about me, which is pretty cool. If you want to listen to that, you can go to podcastanswerman slash two three five. That's uh, the the number two three five, and about eight minutes into the uh, audio. Uh, he gives that little example, so if you want to hear that, you can. Next up here, we have our, have my interview with Rich Colon, and uh, Rich is a designer, builder, author, he carves paddles, he builds boats, he restores boats, he takes lines off boats, he's he's taught at the Center for Wooden Boats, a really cool guy. He uh, allowed me to come to his house and see his shop, and look at some of the stuff he'd done, and it was really a good time. So we're going to go ahead and start the interview. Uh, take it away, Rich. Okay, it's October 7th, and I'm on uh, Camino Island, Washington, sitting here with Rich Colon. Rich, thanks for joining us today.
1: Well, thanks for coming by. Yeah,
0: it's, uh, it's great to be here. I met Rich about three or four weeks ago at a, gathering, a small wooden boat gathering down at uh, Kama Beach. Center for Wooden Boats on Kamano Island, and uh, Rich has been involved with wooden boats for years and uh, ore carving and all kinds of things, so uh, I thought it'd be a fun guest to have on our show today. So, Rich, uh, where are you originally from?
1: Well, I was born uh, actually in New York City, oddly enough, but I didn't live there very long and uh, kind of bopped around the East Coast and then came out to the West Coast in 1962 Uh, went off to the army and of course when I was a kid growing up in New Jersey I had a boat and liked sailing And so when I got back from the army I moved to Santa Cruz, California and went to the University of California there and while I was there I started getting involved in boat carpentry and boat building and stuff like that and by the time I graduated I'm I'm sure I was a better boat builder than I was a student but uh, (laughs) I got a degree in government from them, and few years at Washington. And uh, then I had my boat shop there, and that's where uh, you had asked me about John Gardner, and i that's where I ran into those guys. Pete Culler and John Gardner were two of my mentors early on. And, Pete who? Uh, Pete Culler. Pete Culler and, and wrote, John Gardner. He wrote a book called Skip Schooners that was very influential in that. Uh, in the 70s and 80s and stuff there's there's a lot of people who know them who, who worked in that period of course he's kind of disappeared
0: right but okay. uh and john gardner for our listeners who don't know is was, was considered an expert on dory construction know uh, much or? more than that much it, more. i mean that was part of it
1: right uh, he was uh, a guy that um for some reason he has a he had a master's degree in english from columbia and uh he had uh kind of it was the first dropout. you know he was kind of a boat building hippie i suppose but anyway instead of going on to some ivy league uh, career he uh, instead went to work in boat shops and uh he started writing uh articles in 1950 for the main coast fishermen mm. which was bought out by a national fisherman and that gave him a national audience i mean those of us who are in in those days would subscribe to national fisherman to get his articles and um, there was a whole uh, revival of crafts at the time and one of the crafts was the boat building, the wooden boat building thing, and he would, became the kind of the guru of that whole thing.
0: Was this in the 50s and 60s? No,
1: this would be, well he'd been writing clear through then, but the small craft revival really probably was started to happen in the late '60s, uh, '70s, and maybe gone through even the '80s at this at that point. But uh, for it was, I remember I had my first classes at uh, the Center for Wooden Boats, uh, which uh, I had moved up here by '78. Uh, I had an ore building class that had 14 people in it, and classes would just fill. I mean, there was no problem there. Um, they, Port Townsend started uh, uh, having their symposium, and, uh, and that place was mobbed. I taught a number of classes uh, at the symposium one year, and, and just people were not filled the rooms; they were, they were flooding into the hallways, and there was a tremendous interest. It was just—it was really wild. And of course, at that point, uh, Pete Culler came out with his skiffs and schooners, and Pete was a guy that was really into the traditional ways of boat building. He had been a boat builder all his life, and uh, he became the guru for that part of the movement. Uh, John was uh, more technical, and uh, not only did he... Every month he came out with a, a new boat uh, a, a new boat design based on the work he'd been doing, but he was also interested in, in working with epoxies and some of the newer materials and figuring out that kind of thing. So he did some plywood boats, too. Uh, of course his dory book was one of the first he came out with but uh, that all those books that he came out with were based on designs he developed for national fishermen or main coast fishermen and um i remember he came out here for one of the symposiums and uh, after that he came down in seattle to dick wagner's boathouse and a lot of the, our local guys were there and then that evening uh they were on the uh the virginia five they had uh Dick had set that up. Which was a big sailing vessel, wasn't no, it? No, no, Virginia 5, the steamer. Oh, a yeah, steamer, okay. It's the yep. old, uh, you know, uh, mosquito fleet, the last of Okay. And so we met there, and that's when he suggested that uh, he had talked to Dick over the years, both of us, uh, as well as many others. John kept a tremendous correspondence, and I had been corresponding with him for years. And... Uh, he suggested to to the people he said well you've done a lot of work here it's about time you sat down and put together a uh, a hands-on museum and that's where the uh, the whole idea really f- to get that going uh, and so the, his 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 dream was to do the hands-on museum by that time he had retired from the boatyards and he had been uh given the job as the, uh, as the curator for small craft at Mystic Seaport Connecticut John Gardner you've John think. Gardner yep and that's about when they started publishing Main Coast I mean uh, National Fisherman I think published the first couple of books uh, where they were putting together I think the Dory book was the first but then they had a whole series of books where they um, took his, his designs from Main Coast Fisherman and National Fisherman and put them into a book and then uh, when he moved to uh, uh, Nistic Seaport, Nistic Seaport published the last few of those. And so fortunately, that was really good because it gives there's some great work there, and he describes all the how to build them and all that stuff. So uh, what a, that's a tremendous resource. But
0: so, did you study under John then, in, when you were in no, California? No, I just
1: you know I was uh, just doing this because to- I was on the West Coast. He was on the East Coast. So we just corresponded, and then periodically we'd we'd bump. Uh, at one point, uh, I had started a. Uh, uh, we had small craft meets uh, at, at Santa Cruz, and they had people from Los Angeles and, and Seattle there. We'd have eighty or ninety people, and maybe thirty boats, and, and every year we had one of those for about three or four years and in fact that's still going on a lot of the people continue that so uh, this was uh, for the uh, traditional small craft association now that was something that john gardner started in uh, because of the coast guard uh, you know they, they decided that boats were unsafe and uh, apparently the biggest problem was all of these bass boats you know would go you know and they were extremely fast and uh, people were you know getting hurt so they, but they, then they decided to do the regulations for the whole uh, industry, and uh, they decided that rowboats were there was no such thing as a rowboat. It was a it was a uh, it was a boat that would have two horsepower or less, and they had a whole bunch of you know safety regu- uh, th- formulas. That they had to have so much flotation. And the formula was based on the, one of the factors, the width of the transom. So if you had a double ender, or say a Whitehall boat with the with no wide, transom yeah. then the, the capacity would be some outrageously low figure. Um, anyway, it was it was basically stupid because what they how they worked it was typical Washington where they if you had a lobby group, uh, for instance, canoes and kayaks were, were um, and sailboats were exempted from these rules. So, I mean, it was, you know, it was a loophole that, that and then nobody they didn't want to fix. Anyway, we're going to get into it. He he started the National, he, the International, I mean, excuse me, Nutritional Small Craft uh, Association was formed to uh, try to counter that. They were talking about trying to do a lobbying organization, with, which never, it never became. What uh, year was
0: that started?
1: Really? Oh, boy, that must have been around 72 or 3 so, you 19 know. And um, at that point, we were doing our, our, and they had started a kind of a mimeograph kind of newsletter, and we were doing the West Coast thing, and I, we were doing our mimeograph newsletter that we were sending to the West Coast. So then, John Gardner and Pete asked me to take over their newsletter, and uh, and I had this, you know, I I think, to be honest with you, the the. the, the the lobbying idea wasn't working. I mean, it, you know, that takes a lot of money and a lot of you know, organization, which we didn't have. But I saw this potential of getting people who are interested in the movement in one place on one membership list, and so I started pushing with that. And I was talking with Dick Wagner at the time, trying to get the people in in uh, because they had a, a group here at, in, in Puget Sound, trying to get them involved, in it. and uh, that that proved to be somewhat difficult, but. Uh, but anyway, uh, so we started the newsletter and we did about four or five issues. I forget exactly how many. And then uh, when I moved up here, we turned it over to uh, somebody on the east coast, and they've done a wonderful job. You know, uh, and that's still going. The
0: uh, and you're talking about the uh, traditional small craft association. association. Yeah, there's a Puget Sound chapter here. Yeah. And oh yeah. Different there, chapters there were, around.
1: Yeah, and there, that was the group that was you know there at the uh, at that meet that you were at right Uh, and they're they're headquartered in Anacortes now oh they are oh yeah oh okay so um you know it's 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 still there it's not the the heyday the glory days of the small craft revival uh which probably in the 70s was probably peaked then. um but it's still there you know uh it's a lot calmer than it was, but uh, yeah. it's still there. And, and of course, you're part of that, really, and that, that, that there are people interested enough to, to do things like the Puget Sound chapter and, and what you're doing, you mm-hmm. know. That's, and um, so it's, it's worth doing. And um, to me, it was always a, a fun thing to do. You know, you could design it, you could build it, you could do it yourself. You know, yeah, right, in your garage. Yeah, you didn't have to, uh, you weren't, you know, so many other things you have to, you get a big boat, I mean, you're you're so dominated by chandlers, and, you know, repair people, and yards, and, and marinas, I mean, it's like, mortgage fees, the amount, yeah, trailers, and, 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 and all that stuff, you know, even just a trailer boat, you know, by the time you get the pickup, and the trailer, and all that stuff, It's like the amount of time you get to spend on the boat, you know, is a fraction of what it should be. And, uh, you know.
0: Tell me about the boatyards that you owned or worked in over the years. Well,
1: I worked in a lot of them. Uh, And when I was in Santa Cruz, there was only one there. Uh, And I worked there several times, uh, you know, on on big repair projects when they needed an extra pair of hands. And, And the funny thing is, I left there, I got a call from the owner, and I think he wanted me to to take over the yard but by that time i've already bought a house up here and stuff and so uh you know that just kind of vanished i didn't really want to move back to santa cruz um, but um when i came up to Cortis, there were all at that time probably six or seven different yards you know various sizes and then a few people freelancing who were taking on employees so i it's been a, I work with any one of those groups anytime three to five or six weeks you know maybe three months at the most in the spring usually in the, in the summer and then uh, and then I just do my freelance work to fill it out and yeah, what were you
0: what kind of freelance work were you doing exactly
1: well we do re- I do repair you know wouldn't would working um,
0: you know, some on bigger boats too like
1: right uh, you know some bigger boats some small boats but mostly on you know on around the docks you know uh, I did a lot of work for some of the charter companies because their okay. boats have to be uh, to, up to snuff all the time so if they got banged or something broke or one thing or another you know and sometimes just modified to make it easier to charter I would go and do that work so there was always something to do um, But after about 20 years of all that, you know, uh, you start getting a little older, you're a little creakier, you begin to realize that your body wasn't gonna hold out very much longer. And I I got about all the things I wanted to do with that, you know, and that's when I decided to uh, go back to uh, school and I went up to Western Washington University and got a degree in manufacturing engineering. And then went off to work at the Boeing Company here in Everett. Oh, really? And that's when I moved down to Marysville, and I uh, lived on the reservation for uh, uh, almost 20 years, uh, and which was fun because one of the things I got into there is uh, working with the uh, the Indian cultures, and uh, in the, some of the canoes and the other things. And, really? Uh, and we actually had one project that never quite got finished, but we were. Uh, we had done all the, the groundwork to to build a series of 18 45-foot uh, uh, northern canoes for uh, members of the Chimshin uh, tribe. And that, that fell through, which was sadly, but uh, we, we really enjoyed doing that, the group of people that I had recruited. And then uh, later... Uh, I had befriended the uh, Master Carver of the two tribes who had had done some really marvelous work doing Nootka canoes, and uh, so I got to talk with him and and, and talk with how he used how he did it what you know we just became friends and so uh, the last thing I did before I left uh, the reservation was to design a Nootka canoe for the tribe, which is now hanging they built it and it's now hanging above their uh, the the desk at the, at the new administrative center. Oh, okay. So, uh, which is ni- actually nice in the, in, the, in the boats that we did at uh, uh, Kama Beach because, you know, for boat building, most of the time, somebody takes the boat and goes away, and you never see it. So you go through a slow period, and you suddenly realize there's nothing. So what Some-
0: method of construction was that canoe? How was that built? That was strip-plank.
1: Oh, it was? Yeah. We had done a lot of work on this forty-five foot canoes. We'd done a lot of uh, design work. We did uh, a lot of uh, testing of materials and techniques. So it really got me into this, you know, uh, strip building and how, what was it about and and so on. So it, we actually did do a. Uh, me and a friend of mine uh, did an eighteen foot. Uh, uh, Gardner design. He did a, a Hareyshoff. He, he developed the hairship rowboat, which was a, a set of rough set of lines that Harrishoff had set off as an example of a, in his uh, um, the common sense of yacht design. And he he, and he presented that that model as a, as a good set of lines. So uh, John whipped out by. Uh, uh, a set of lines and a construction plan which he included in one of his books and we so we built that it was 18 feet in a strip plank and it came out very nice but as usual what happened is a frustrating thing for a boat builder. a lot of times is uh, by the time the guy decides to go ahead and spend the money and build the boat the guy's too old to use it mm. and that's unfortunately I I I always watch that, uh, but I, then, you know, you feel yourself doing that. You know, that time you really feel that. Oh, I can spend the money because I might die tomorrow. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'll have this boat built that requires me manually to be operating it, and uh, so you know, you can see yourself going down the drain with that one. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the uh, Centerford boats thing uh, took off. I was, you know, we were. In, I was involved in when that thing got started, and uh, I was still down in. Uh, in Santa Cruz and Dick was up working here at, uh, on, on Lake Union and then when I moved up here I you know I, I had I think I might have already been a member but I started teaching classes um, and one of the first uh, boats that I built is a boat I designed called the Heidi it was a 12-foot skiff and then uh, I wrote my first book on how to build that Oh really? Uh, so I wrote two. One is called uh, "Building the Catherine," which is a uh, lapjack whitehall boat, and those were uh, published by Wooden Boat uh, Publishing. Oh, Wooden wow. boat what's the other one called? Where's "Building the Catherine." Building the Catherine. Yeah. And then you said you they wrote. They had kind of. S- they they kind of s- we were talking about a series or something. So they said "Wooden Boats Made Easy" was the name of their series, and the first one was Heidi, and the second one was the Catherine.
0: And Heidi was the skiff.
1: The skiff, and that uh, that and variations of, are the skiffs I've been building in my classes, when I do skiff class.
0: So tell me about that skiff, what kind of construction is that? And well, Jerry it, it and
1: basically uh, is inspired by, although it's my own lines and stuff, the, the construction was inspired by Pete Culler's good little skiff. That's so a little, yeah. anyway, That it was really neat, I built one of those for a customer and I was really impressed with it. And basically it's lab straight sides. The bottom is cross planked When I wrote the book, I hadn't, you know, basically built the way we used to build them on the East Coast, and boats stayed in the water, so you could just butt the planks on the bottom, and it would swell up and be fine. But problem is, around here, people are uh, are, are trailering things, so if you really build them the way the old people build them, you'd have a boat that leaked all the time yeah. because it, you know the blanks
0: shrink up and you well put them yeah in the especially if you're
1: driving on a, uh, 60 miles down the freeway i mean that's just like that'll take the moisture out of the hall so i did some experimenting uh and what i ended up with is kind of i use a polyurethane uh, there's this thing called 5200 which is an adhesive and that's you want to stay away from that like the plague <laughs> It's so much stronger than the wood oh really That uh it doesn't sand, you know it's hard to clean up and oh it's just it's just a mess, and if you had to take the thing apart, you'd split the wood apart, you know oh wow so, but there's a, a thing that may actually fit all these companies that make that polyurethane have a variation which is that a bedding compound of, and that you can pull apart, and yet it's perfect for wooden boat building because it's high adhesive. So, I mean, all the boats down in Canva in, uh, are built using that... that, that uh, oh, it stays company.
0: flexible, but it seals? It,
1: it seals. I mean, those some of those boats are eight years old. They don't leak. And, um, I mean, none of my boats leak. And it, it was kind of a, a breakthrough from that standpoint because, uh, you know, I've seen... You know, and I was... They built some wonderful boats at the... Uh, uh, port hadlock and things but you can see where you know if if you don't have them in the water all the time it, you know you're yeah. going to launch them and the water's just going to come right up into them
0: so, so what species lumber or you were using
1: usually you had cedar plank red cedar plank uh for backbones for the small boats i usually like to use fir or sometimes alaskan yellow but uh i like to some of like the white us the long, narrow ones tend to be a little whippy in the keel, so it's almost neat if you, if you laminate the keel up with fur, it's mm-hmm. just real stiff. It gives the boat a backbone, you know, you don't get as much twisting. And, um, but anyway, that, so that's usually what I do. I stay away from oak usually because it rots so easily, and, and whenever there's rot around here, it's generally in the oak. So that's... In, the,
0: in the red oak, or...? Uh,
1: well, they, we use white oak. Okay. Uh, one of the best oaks for boat building is, uh, is the Oregon white oak. It used to grow through uh, this area, but uh, most of the stuff was during the pioneer period. They chopped it up for firewood, or hopefully they built some boats out of it, but uh, yeah. you can still get it in southern Oregon, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's not rare. But anyway, that, that was a good one, I, and, uh, and then I used to use a lot of Honduras mahogany when it was cheaper. Uh, but now, a lot of times, if, if a guy's got a boat that's gonna be used a lot, uh, I think they're better off painting the whole thing. You know, People who have Honduras and boats want to varnish, but uh, people like to put a lot of varnish on the beginning, but they don't like to maintain them. To make it look nice, you almost have to be at it every few months, uh, or it's gonna eventually start to burn out, and it'll yeah. look terrible. And then there's also the People like to use oils, and what oils do, they, they, they evaporate faster than varnish, but they also tend to collect dirt, and so you end up with kind of a mess, kind of ugly looking thing. But, you know, the people think, you know, a lot of these things are, are sold as work reducing things, and they really don't. In the mm-hmm. long run, they're much more paintus. It's great, I mean, if you paint a boat, and you keep it out of the direct sunlight, you know, keep it under cover, sunlight and away from water you know rain and don't let it get rain on stuff I mean uh, the original Catherine I had it for seven years and I never really painted it more than once I did some touch-up work on it I had the original paint so the colors matched but yeah. um, you know for I did a little bit but I never repainted the whole thing and uh, so you know boats can be low maintenance if you care for them properly right, right. Um, but anyway and you know and to get back to the center for and boats you know they have grown so much over the years it's been a slow and steady thing and, and actually not so slow lately they seem to be going by leaps and bounds and uh, I got involved with, you know I became a member very early and then uh, later I became a uh, vice president on the board and uh, for a time and then when I I, I found that the, the, the commuting down Seattle was just a little too much for me. and you know, I was getting older and I had to start living life simpler, so I, I resigned that position. But I, I'm still a life member, and I, I stay with what their program is.
0: And yeah, and it's nice they've got the center. probably, what, 10 minutes, 15 minutes from your house here? Oh, yeah. At Camo well, Beach oh, on yeah. Camino Island. That's a, that's a beautiful One of the facility. reasons I came up
1: here is so that I could keep an eye on what they were doing. And I, <clears> I, you know, like I said, I, I really like what... Center. So, what kind
0: of uh, projects or classes have you been doing down at uh, Kama Beach?
1: Well, Beach? I really haven't been doing very much. Uh, at some point, uh, we had you know we had moved uh, the classes up to my shop at Tulalip, and then you know they, when Dick got out of the the leadership there, he's still an emeritus, but they they changed over. People started asking why are we why are we having boat building classes up in Marysville when we're a seance? So they moved everything down there. And, uh, and then a lot of stuff just got discontinued. So they're still doing some work down there. But, uh, part of the thing is when it was up at my shop, I could always, if only two people signed up, we'd still have the class, you know, oh. I'd just tick what came in the door. So there was a lot of stuff, you know, or if we didn't have enough of the materials, I put in the materials. So, you know, we're doing a lot of stuff. Like that kept it going. Uh, but if you're trying to make money at something, uh, like some of the people on the board at that time, they were trying to make money at everything and I, my my saying on that is if you could make money on small boats, we'd be all in business. we wouldn't be in the center with boats, <laughs> yeah right <laughs> the reason why we haven't profit is you can't make any money at it, you know yeah so right. uh but I, I hope that that so they stopped a lot of that and i then I feel bad about it, and I hope someday they go back to it, they realize yeah. that that's something we have to subsidize but uh, anyway be as it may that's my belief and yeah uh we i've been doing my teaching most of it recently through the center, uh through the uh the school at port hadlock oh or yeah a school of boat building yes okay. and they have a they have a fantastic program gosh i you know they're building anything from small boats to big boats uh and uh a large part of are it's interesting, a large part of the people there, uh, I'd say maybe 50, 40, 50% are actually older people who are just always want to be boat, learn about boat building and who take their classes. I saw one guy, he'd been there for three years. Wow. And uh, he's now on the board, and you know, he's, but he's into it. And there's a place you could just dive into this thing and, and you know.
0: Really uh, learn it. Yeah, I saw they're getting ready to offer us three-month class here on uh, i think it's on rigging and sail making
1: yeah look like an awesome they have class. a small uh boat class and they have a large boat class and then they have a modern uh you know where they use strip planking and 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 uh, cold molding and all that stuff so i mean you know and they put motors in boats, and boats you know they just they have they have the whole package there and uh and they stopped for a while doing the summer classes, but we did one last year and we had 11 people uh, sign up for it. We had to turn them away. So What I, class was that, Rich? We built a Heidi, Heidi oh, Skill. Okay. We did, okay. We actually took eight, eventually. So they made some money on it, and actually, they've always made, we've always done well there. The center always had trouble for some reason, I'm not sure why. But Port Hadlock, my feeling is, probably is, there's not that many of us, but we're eager. You know, mm-hmm. and so there's a word-of-mouth thing. And, uh, you know, they, you can go down to that school and you'll see all these boats being built and it gets people excited. And So anyway, that yeah, that, they've always done well there. And uh, I think we'll see uh, more classes next year.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Cool.
0: Cool. cool. So tell me about a couple of the most interesting projects you've worked on over the years, as far as boats or things. Oh, built.
1: I think that, uh, some of the funnest period is when we were, uh, we were working out of... Um, on my shop in Santa Cruz I mean on santa Cruz uh, uh, Tulela because uh, then I was able to, all these i in a kind of a hobby thing is going around and finding old boats, measuring them, you know learning about their history, and so I had some of those ready to go, and uh, we could build them. You know, since I was in charge of the thing and you know, as so I said well, mm-hmm. we're gonna build and, and some of them are down there at Canva and and they're beautiful boats, like the little Davis boat we have there. It's a, a fourteen foot uh it's an outward boat, but it, it was designed around nineteen in the nineteen thirties. And it's just a beautiful little boat. And uh the other one is a Showwater uh um, bay uh, Tender, it's called dinghy, actually, that's what they called it. But it basically was a double-ender. Uh, they built them from 14 to 18 feet. And they were designed to be tenders for the sailing oyster boats in uh, Showwater Bay, which is now called Willowwood Bay, uh, Long Beach Peninsula.
0: Yeah, down on the west on the coast of Washington.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, that is, that's the best... They were designed for
0: that, huh? Interesting. For the oyster industry. <laughs> yeah. In there.
1: Yeah, well, it was very shallow water, and the boats generally couldn't, sometimes they'd have to be a mile offshore. So they needed a, a boat that was fast, uh, that, but had to be you know, for thin water.
0: And were they flat-bottom boats then?
1: No, that was just, a, that was a, they, uh, they. there was a number of different boats, but that one was a round-bottom boat. Yeah, oh. it's, it's beautiful. I mean, it's the easiest rowing boat I've ever run, period. Wow. usually when they're 14 feet they drag a lot you can feel on the oars this one you don't feel it it's just you know skiffs i think are better rowers on the smaller sizes than the round bottom boats but this one uh, certainly does as well as a skiff will do mm-hmm. and uh, and then of course uh we did i did the the shop series uh which was a, a series based on the Heroshoft uh, rowing boats. That's Nathan Heroshoft, uh, I think it was designed, ooh, 1909 or something, something around there. It was the Columbia Lifeboat model. And I did a 9 and a 10 and a, half and a 13, and the 10 and, a half and the 13 are in the collection of uh, 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 center wooden boats down in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So they, they've been very successful. A lot of people like those boats. And then uh, I did a series of three boats for uh, for the uh, the lady. the Canva Beach was originally a, a salmon resort and the family that ran it uh, kept it until the old folks got too old to operate it. And the daughters are the ones that got the park to buy it. And uh, they donated half and they had Washington State by the other half. And then that money they put in the foundations, which they used to uh, build the K- Kamma Center, which is the kind of uh, meeting. and. Uh, oh, that's a beautiful yeah, facility. Yeah, it's a beautiful building. Yeah. Huh? And that's they, they donated that money. It was about a million and a half dollars or $2 million, wow. or something like that. Uh, but anyway, they uh, that the lady, uh, one of the, the ladies, Karen Hamalainen, uh, gave me money to first measure all the different boats they had they had eight different designs there and uh, so I measured them all and made plans for them
0: so you essentially you take the lines off so you can build a table of offsets is that right what table did? of offsets and yep. then
1: did the construction details so you could yeah. you could record what was there in case yeah. some point they start losing them and they are falling apart and then she hired me to build three replicas so and those are in the, the rental fleet now. One of them is number 64, which is an outboard boat. And then there's two rowboats. There's a, a number 6, which is a, a 12-footer. And uh, I think it's 28, which is a 14-footer. So if anybody wanted to get the idea, that 64 is very popular. They like those. They like to go fishing and crabbing out there. So they, they is that, What size is that boat? That one is 15 and a half feet overall. Okay, it's got an outboard on it? It gets an outboard. Yeah, there were... Uh, V-bottom skiff type boat? Or? They're, they're V-bottom planked, you know, kind of cedar planked. And that one was not, but there was a whole series of the boats, actually the 14-foot V-bottom outboard boats and possibly, and maybe the skiffs, all the skiffs, were actually built on site. They had some people come down there and they actually built them on site. So there were 28 of these 14-footers and Five of the twelve footers and maybe when I got there there were maybe twenty six twenty seven of the fourteen footers still there I don't know how many might have got lost along the way the uh number sixty four which is there were th- there were two outboards that were fifteen and a half feet long, one of was about a four foot beam the other was closer to a five foot beam and i they I, they came from other when other places went out of business they bought them and uh, and, and so they got a little huskier than a 14 footer was, was a small boat so anyway that's where they came from and uh, so there's a chance people go down there want to get some idea what the experience was they could actually uh, rent those boats and try them out so real successful once again with the, the polyurethane benny compound which by the way if anybody's interested wants to do that uh, don't go to the chandlers with a picture of the boat on it, you know, they'll, they'll want you know, anywhere from 15, $14, $15 a tube, 10 ounce tube. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, go to the hardware stores, like uh, the box stores, and uh, those are, I think they're going up all the time, but I think the last time I paid 5 60 or something a tube.
0: Really, for the same stuff? It's the
1: same stuff, and they call it polyurethane uh, door and window caulk.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. And, uh, Can you get it in different colors? or? Uh,
1: yeah, there's a uh, black and a white, and kind of a tan thing. And I think what uh, what brand is it, Rich? Oh, uh, gosh, it, it just changed. But, is it 3M? Uh, or? It, no, no, it's not 3M. Uh, oh, gosh, I'm trying to... Tightlock owns it now. The Tightlock? Lock? Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Oh, that's good to know. Wow, you can save a lot, 10 bucks a tube. You tea. sure can.
1: And that's, that's per tube. I mean, if a guy doesn't use a lot, you can buy you. Can yeah, and that'll idea.
0: seal it up good. You can use a traditional building method. Yeah. You take it in to, and out of the you water. You just have and, to remember
1: <clears throat> to be careful with it because it's hell to clean up. So when I do a skiff, for instance, I tape all the seams and then use it and then come back with my thumb and, and then wearing gloves, of course. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then, uh, then peel the tape off. Before, it, as soon as you do that, you don't want to leave it on there, it'll glue it right to the boat. Then you have this big mess. Yeah. Uh, and then you're going to wipe off, you've got to be really e- careful to wipe it off with. Uh, actually, paint through will work, but the best thing you use is alcohol. Because a lot of those thinners and stuff have kind of solvents in them that aren't good for you. But the alcohol seems to work real good. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you can buy that at any hardware store but uh, yeah you have to be and I have my my students and they go well you know there's always one that doesn't believe me and I go you got to clean it all up you has to perfectly when it's still sticky you got to get it off and then we'll turn it over and we'll see a big book area full of blobs and i'll say well what happened there go, oh no we don't yeah we don't okay good here's a chisel you clean it up <laughs> <laughs> and by the end of it they're going oh yeah that's why you said that you know yeah. because when you start yeah. using chisels you start chewing up the way it's it's ugly yeah. yeah you gotta boat building can be really quick if you do everything in the proper order or the proper way so i always just say it's 60 million easy-to-learn facts, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any fool can do it if he lives long enough, you know? Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's one of the steps you can't leave out. Right.
0: So tell me a little bit more about the carving that you've done. I When I met you, you were carving some uh some well, I, I and have. so Actually, on. I've
1: done some Indian petals, and there's some... Uh, other Indian things I've done. I've taken several classes with uh, some master carvers and stuff. But Are those things that you've built over there, Rich? The models, no, but uh, but. Uh, but the Indian. Uh, the box, the box I did, and the uh, and the paddle. You can go over and look at it later.
0: Yeah, we're looking at some carvings that uh, Rich did here in his yeah. living room. So we'll get some picture of those on the website.
1: Okay. Um, Oh, actually, how it happened is when I first opened my shop in uh, in Santa Cruz, I had built originally an eight-foot lap boat, it was my first lap straight boat. And I designed it myself because I I made this incredible design that when I made the molds and stuck it up there, it looked like a beehive, and it was the ugliest, <laughs> most outlandish thing you ever saw. And, and, but I'd already just made the transom and stuff. And so I took a, kind of one of those jigsaws and sawed it till one half, you know, anyway. I just kind of jiggered kind of it of off, reshaped it. reshaped it, and then built it. And um, I, it was uh, all at a hundred, I mean, uh, Philippine mahogany. So anyway, it was in the shop. And then I decided when I opened my business that I would do is kind of use it as a display model that would inspire. So I put a gaff rig on it, you know, for an eight foot boat, not exactly practical. And um, then I wanted to carve the name on the stern, so I had a friend that lived across the street who was who was an excellent carver and sculptor, he worked in marble and everything. And I said, "Jeez, well, could you come over and carve a name board on this thing? So I carved this name board on the back and the name, and he said, you know, because he was looking around the shop what I'd been doing, he said, you know, you should be able to do this, you know. <laughs> And sure enough, so I started playing around with it, and pretty soon I was carving name boards, and you know, and I, you know, we'd already done models, so you know, it, it all kind of. This is kind of a business that tends to spread. You get into that, and next thing you know, Pete color was saying you can't get decent oars anymore, which is actually right. I mean, they're usually heavy or clunky or misshaped, and and, and stuff, and so, um, I got into making my own oars, and I talked to. Pete and I, you know i got some better ideas I ended up making oars for the uh, San Francisco rowing clubs and, oh, cool. and um, built geez, thousands of pairs I don't know how many i <laughs> <over laughs> <the years. laughs> yeah I mean it's and there's uh, a lot
0: of hand tools involved in that a lot there? of
1: hand tools and it's really a neat, neat Chisels project and spoke
0: shaves and spoke
1: shaves, dry knives uh small planes uh Mm-hmm. I do a little routing work when I'm uh, doing them for many, you know, but uh, there's nothing more enjoyable. Playing, uh, they're just good. it's just a great project, I think, because you're really shaping stuff and yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it's a lot of fun to get a low angle block plane out and take some wood down and eyeball it you bet spoke shape
1: is one of my there's tools that are friendly and and that it is it doesn't make a lot of noise it's not pretentious and yet wood just moves you know and and with a lot of control so uh the spoke shape is a neat neat thing right right
0: so for our listeners rich um how about if you give us your contact information if somebody has a project they'd like to talk to you about or maybe a class to instruct or whatever uh, could you give us your contact information
1: sure. well uh, my address is 763 arrowhead road camano island 98282 my telephone number is 360-659-5591 And my email is, which is the easiest way to do it, is colon one, that's K-O-L-I-N, numeral one, at wavecable.com. Okay, cool. And uh, so if anybody's interested in this kind of stuff, they can contact me. They can give you a
0: call. Or yeah. email or whatever. Email is a good way. Isn't it?
1: Right now, I, my suspicion. If you want to take these classes, and I, what an opportunity! I, you know, I wish I had that available when I was learning because it's real hard by yourself to try to struggle through this crap. Like I said, when it, it's just a lot of easy stuff. I mean, it's a lot of it, and, and you're trying to do it yourself. It just can be, you know. Keep you up nights you yeah know?
0: right and
1: right. uh you know i can impart in a week you kind of see the whole thing so if you're if they're interested in classes right now uh they should contact the uh the northwest school of boat building in port handlock okay they have a website okay and, cool
0: uh, i them do that any uh, parting comments for our listeners rich
1: well i you know i'm i'm glad if you're listening and you must have enough interest and i just hope you stay with it and have a good time okay
0: Cool. Well, thanks a lot. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Rich, thanks so much for letting me come out to your place and interview you for my show. That was really a lot of fun, and I hope the listeners enjoyed that. Uh, We're going to wrap it up here, folks. Please call the listener hotline with any comments or questions, 424-261-2360, or you can email me at dan at hookedonwoodenboats.com or leave a comment on the website, hookedonwoodenboats.com. Also, I'd appreciate it if you'd leave me a review on iTunes. A five-star review would be awesome. If you enjoy the show, you can support me that way. And I hope you guys have a great week and a blessed uh, Thanksgiving next week. Until next week, keep the bright side up and the barnacled side down. Wooden Boat Dan, over and out.